Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and welcome to this episode of MedHeads. Today we have Chrissy with us, and we're going to continue on her story. Hello, Chrissy. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Virgil. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for coming back and continuing your story. Now, when we left off the last episode, you had made the call to a rehab unit, and then the next day you had the call back. So can we take your story from that moment when you got the call back? How did you feel when someone called you up about all of this? Um, look, I, I, I certainly felt a sense of relief. I did immediately, um, I, I do recall feeling a weight was lifted, just having said something to another human being, um, aside from family who obviously knew that I had an issue. So yet yeah, someone outside my close circle now knew that I had an issue with alcohol and, um, that in itself was an enormous relief um, and something I'd never done before because um, I'd been to many doctors, many specialists and never ever spoken the truth about mm. my drinking. And um, as I think I've mentioned, I, you know, what I thought was the truth saying to this nurse of a couple of bottles was, um, you know, it was actually probably closer to double that. But um, mm. her saying that I needed to come in, um, it just, I knew I was headed in the right direction. I knew that... Um, you know, because for a long time I'd toyed with the idea, am I, am I not an alcoholic, you know, am mm. I, um, and, and I began to think maybe there actually is a problem. But, right. um, yeah, I, I really remember feeling relieved, thinking, thank so, goodness, something might happen. There was a relief that you were able to be honest with somebody else. Yeah, yeah. And there was a relief that someone else had said that you needed their help. Yes. Mm-hmm. How important was the demeanor and the, the, the behavior of the person who phoned you in terms of putting you at ease and getting you to that rehab? Um, I th it's interesting that you ask that because, I mean, I looking back on it, yeah, it was really important. I didn't really think much of it at the time, but I do remember that this woman was very, very um, understanding, certainly not at all judgmental, um, I remember her using kind of terms of endearment. Maybe, maybe she called me darling or something like that. She was, mm. she seemed um, like a really nice, caring person, and mm. I wasn't in any way made to feel <clears throat> less than or you know that there was something horribly wrong with me. And I think one mm. of the one of my biggest concerns was being a parent, being a mother. And um, I remember asking, "Are there any other females there?" And she said, "Yes." And I said. I said, are there any other mums thinking that she'd say no way? And she said quite a number. And the mm. feeling of relief, um, I just couldn't believe yeah. it. I genuinely thought I would be the only female there and certainly the only mother. Um, and that wasn't yeah. the case. So it was it was an incredible, um, yeah, again, relief just to know that I wasn't necessarily mm. alone and maybe um, I wasn't quite, you know, just... <sighs> Not the social leper. I just, I, you know, I didn't, yeah, I didn't want to be that person, whatever that person is, the alcoholic, yeah. I suppose. My, my, my perception or my idea of an alcoholic mm. was definitely the, the paper bag on the bench, on the, on the park bench. And, um, yeah, I began to realise that not only were there mothers and females, but there were 
people who had uh, occupations, people that had families, you know, then... Um, you weren't going to be singled people. out. Yeah. yeah, and you weren't judged. Yeah. And I wasn't judged, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, yeah. So that call, that call back, how long between the call back and your actual admission into the unit? It's actually um, only a number of days, maybe three, four days maximum. And I remember, I remember her saying um, to not stop drinking. That was an enormous relief, you know. Um, <laughs> I just, You've been I given permission to continue drinking. <laughs> I remember that very, very clearly. Yeah, she's, and yeah. Then I remember her saying it could actually be dangerous to stop. Um, mm. That's the first I'd ever heard about it being dangerous to stop, mm. really. Um, I know a lot more about that now working in the industry, but yeah, I had no idea that. Um, and yeah, so um, I certainly followed her instructions. <laughs> and um, mm. yeah, and I started, you know, to pack. Well, actually, no, I didn't start to pack my bags. I packed my bags about midnight the night before, but you know. <laughs> and threw yeah. a few items into a bag and yeah. But um, mm. as I said, I, I really got hope and it wasn't long. Um, mm. And I did actually scale back my drinking. Um, yeah. So what was it like on the going through the doors? <clears throat> going the doors through the doors. Unit. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, oh look, I remember driving up to the to the service. I didn't drive actually. My husband drove, and the mm. kids were in the back. Um, I remember not being able to to turn. And this, uh, I'll never forget this. And I have always felt such guilt, but I, it just I couldn't do it. I remember not being able to turn back and look at them and give them a kiss and say goodbye. Um, so I just literally slid out of the front seat of the car and grabbed mm. this crappy little bag that I had and just walk through the doors. I just, I wanted the world to swallow me. You know, I, I, I didn't know what I was. Why did you feel so bad at that moment? That I was the just, beginning of your recovery. So why, why was it so difficult for you? Because it, on, it was such a double-edged sword. On one hand, I finally had some hope. And on the other hand, I knew I was about to be told that I shouldn't drink again. And that was just the thought of that was terrifying. But also the thought, I knew that I was about to be taken away from alcohol for at least 28 days. And um, that was terrifying. I mean, I can't even, I really cannot begin to, to tell you um, how fearful I was about the prospect of that. And, you know, it's, it's difficult to put into words. I mean, it was um, for a long time, it had been the reason, you know, that had been what gave me hope. And, and that's mm. the honest truth. Alcohol gave me hope. If it was around mm. the corner, I, I could make it, you know. Um, and yeah. so I felt like I was giving away my lifeline. I felt a, an enormous amount of shame. I felt that if I turned back and looked at the kids that, I don't know if I thought it would be more painful for them to sort of say goodbye or if I was better off just pretending that I've ducked into a shop and then, you know, to be honest, I probably just wanted my husband to explain. I'll let him explain because I was also quite selfish, you know, mm. in, in incredibly selfish. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have called myself selfish at the time, um, but looking back on it, I was extremely selfish. Right. And you know, yeah. So, talk to me about the admission process. 
So the admission process, yeah, I came in, um, I was uh, seen by a psychiatrist, or a nurse first, and then a psychiatrist. The Mm. nurse was lovely. I remember the first word she said was, what's your poison? And I thought, oh my gosh, what does that mean? And um, Mm. and then I, yeah, so alcohol was obviously the main thing. Um, I was seen by a psychiatrist and and then I was seen by... um, their head doctor or I would imagine an addiction specialist um, and he he was lovely he talked to me about the disease the disease of um, addiction mm. uh, which is a concept that I'd never heard of um, I was I was fascinated with what he was saying but at the same time I was also <laughs> I had somebody else had come in on the same morning and they had been intoxicated and I thought that you weren't allowed to arrive intoxicated and I was so preoccupied with the fact that I had had to stop drinking the night before and couldn't get my few drinks that morning. I could Mm. barely listen to what this guy was saying and honestly that's how dependent I had become. I was thinking oh my goodness I could have actually had those drinks this morning and what Mm. Uh, anyway um, but he told me about the disease of alcohol alcoholism or addiction um he told me about how unwell i was i guess i I must have had um i must have had some test results from the gp sent through to him um and you know i at this stage began to um began to get frightened and i honestly thought you know what i just don't know if this is a good time for me to be here and um it was December 2010 and I said look it's Christmas time I haven't even said goodbye to my children properly I think I've made a mistake maybe I'll just head off back home and I'll come back another time and Mm. um and I'll never forget him saying that Chrissy you won't see Christmas in July if you don't stay and I honestly uh, there was just the penny dropped somewhat it wasn't a hundred percent drop but there was enough to make me it did frighten me, um, but fear will only last, you know, um, so long uh, mm. with this with this condition or for me. Um, mm. But, yeah, it frightened me enough to actually stay and to listen. And, mm. uh, and this gentleman actually um, began to tell me his story and he told me that he was 17 years into recovery from addiction and my jaw nearly hit the ground. Like, I, I've just, I, I've never been so... Um, I've never been so taken aback. I was absolutely amazed. That was, I, I must be honest, that that was probably the clincher. That's what kept me there because I thought, yeah, that was interesting. I wanted to know more about what, what he, you know, his, his recovery. I wanted to know more about what he did. And I figured that if he was there carrying this message or really endorsing it and he was sober and he was clean, that um, he was proof. He was living proof that something yeah. works. Yeah. So you had an initial urge, you had cold feet basically, literally as you were being interviewed for the admission process. Yeah. And, and it was the right words at the right time that actually kept you from running away from, from, uh, from, running away from uh, the whole process. Mm-hmm. What was it like for the first day and night? Um, look, I was on enormous amounts of Valium. So I I really, quite honestly, um, I'm not going to say I can't remember. I just know I was very, very shaky. I couldn't see. Um, There were a lot of people there. Um, I think there were about 20 or 30 people that could be in this service. Um, I was, 
yeah, I couldn't be anywhere near them for days, actually. Um, they all ate in the kitchen and I couldn't be around them. Um, people scared me. Uh, sobriety scared me, you know. I have, mm. um, I have a sober problem that alcohol fixes, you know, <laughs> and I didn't have that, that solution. Um, so without that and you know again i was embarrassed i'm shaking and i couldn't hold a knife and fork it was just it was quite humiliating and so i they didn't actually make me go on on their you know nature walk for about four or five days so i did spend the first four or five days um doing not a lot um listening to some groups um not really contributing but just just listening and i suppose um yeah uh, i began to learn more about what it might be mm. that's wrong with me so you were very much a passive receiver of treatment for the first four or five days and you were effectively doped up to the eyeballs with Valium. Yeah. And, um, and then, then what happened after the last, after that four or five days? The Valium stopped? Okay. Yep. Valium How stopped. How did that feel? And, um, okay. So the last night, <laughs> that's interesting. Gosh, I'd forgotten about this. The last night, obviously they taper down and mm. I was so terrified because already I had become psychologically dependent on Valium, like not, not physically, but psychologically, that was my, you know, my mm. new solution. Um, and when they tapered down, I think it was on like 40 milligrams the last night and they were going to cut me right off. And I said, from this tiny bit of nursing, I'd done like whatever, 20 years earlier, I said, you can't, you can't, you can't drop me down to nothing from that. And I kicked up a fuss and you know, um, made them call the doctor at 10 o'clock at night. So they called the doctor and then he allowed me one more night. And honestly, mm. I remember this sense of complete, not just achievement, but just relief of like, thank goodness, I've bought myself maybe another 12 hours before I actually have to deal with this mm. head of mine. <laughs> um, and that, that was that was me. I was always needing escape. Mm. Like I was frightened of myself. I really was. Um, yeah. And I cannot explain that today. That is not the case, but I do clearly remember that. So yeah, they tapered me down. I started to come back into, um, you know, the world of the living. I suppose I began to string a sentence. Um, I began to take in some of the um, some of the group therapy and the sessions mm. that we were all um, participating in. Um, <clears throat> I was very shy, very quiet, um, but. Yeah, we just look. There are a lot of guest speakers that came in from uh, outside from the community. So they came in with a lived experience and they talked to us about their experience. That was incredibly valuable. Mm. There were some people that came in um, and talked about twelve-step programs and how what they were, um, how they had you know um, recovered with the help of twelve-step programs. And again, that was amazing. There. Well, people actually that I know to this day, to be honest, um, who are very, very, they're just incredible people. They give of themselves for absolutely nothing. You know, they, they, they're just, they serve the community and they serve people like me every day and help um, show me that there's a way out. And mm. that's what I, that's so, what I do. <clears throat> you, you had, you were very worried about stopping the Valium. Mm -hmm. And just for the, for the benefit of anyone watching this, just be reassured that it is actually entirely feasible to suddenly stop diazepam, even at high doses, during in the course of an alcohol detox, because 
because of the way diazepam works, it automatically self-tapers over, over a week, really. So even if you stop on 60, it takes mm -hmm. about another week for it to actually run out of your system. Um, and I'm not sure if that was explained to you when you, when you were having this chat with the doctor at, at 10 o'clock at night when you wanted some more Valium, or did he just say, yeah, you can no, have I'm a just, Yeah, I'm glad you weren't my doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, if you well at ten o'clock at night, I would have probably said, "Look, love, here's another valium. I'll speak to you about it in the morning." But yes, for the benefit of people watching. Us, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so the next day you stopped valium. Yeah. What was it like no longer being on valium? Um, it's a really good question, Fregel. I, I look. Um, I, I guess like all I can say is it was frightening. I mean, obviously I've come to adjust over time. It's been quite a long time now, but um, I had a really, really hard time making eye contact with anyone. That had always been an issue with me, actually, even in um, in at, in primary school. I, I yeah. never made eye contact. So uh, it was difficult to um, not... Yeah, no, it was difficult to kind of um, build or generate conversation. Um, I guess I sat there frustrated with myself um, for not being able to participate as well as, 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 you know, I would have liked to. I was incredibly shy and nervous. I, that's all I'll put it down to. However, that changed somewhere towards the end of the 28-day stay. That honestly changed. And people mm. had said that I'd really come out of my shell. And, you know, um, I guess I was just scared of saying the wrong thing, always scared about what people thought, you know, what are they mm. going to say or I don't want to look stupid or look like an idiot or, you know, mm. it was just, I mean, honestly, it gets really tiring up in this head and, and half the time I'd end up thinking it's it's safer just to keep your mouth shut and say nothing yeah. than yeah. to take the risk, you know, yeah. So, you know, it exposed in you all these fears of, of, of social anxiety and I think ultimately mm. you were using alcohol for so long. In, in, in part because you had and were experiencing and suffering from social anxiety and then you take away the alcohol, you've still got to deal with the social anxiety. You yeah. know, once you've removed the crutch, you've still got the original problem, haven't you? And part, yeah. I, I think part of rehab is to actually teach people or give people the skills to deal with their underlying problem. Mm. Did did that happen with you? You know, you were there for twenty eight days. Did you did you get anything out of that first uh, uh, rehab? I yeah, look, it did. I, I think um, it's interesting. It's almost like a there's an evolution. You know, there's like the people. There's the first week um, people that come into to rehab, and then there's the second weekers and the third weekers, fourth mm. weekers. So mm. as I got over that, say fourteen day hump. You're sort of getting into the, I guess, more mature end of the, you know, um, the rehabilitation, and maybe that even, even psychologically, it's kind of like you know, being in year eleven and twelve at high school, like you feel mm. like you can help some of the younger people or the newer people. So, yeah, mm. I mean, I, I really, as it turns out now, I am somebody who does want to help, and I am someone who likes to, you know, I sit down with girls every day and teach them about, you know, this this condition. Um, so I think that really helped me where I felt like I had a purpose or a role towards the end of um, the, yeah, the, the rehab. And mm. it was incredibly, look, overall, 
it, it was an amazing experience. I, I would, I absolutely um, credit that experience with the reason that I am sober today. Um, right. Yeah, there's so no doubt in my mind. You, you successfully navigated 28 days in rehab, yeah? Yes. And then you were discharged. How did you feel about being discharged? What was going through your mind then? By the time I was being discharged, I was petrified again for a change. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I didn't want to go home. Honestly, if, if they'd mm. said you can stay 90 days, I would have said thank you. Like, um, mm. I knew what I faced at home. I knew that I faced um, a lot of responsibility. I knew, um, I mean, obviously I missed my children and my husband as well. Like, I, I do have to say that. It sounds like I, I was just, I was concerned about whether or not I would cope with um, with just everyday living because everyday living had always been my problem. It's not mm. it's not a big problem for some people, but for me, um, mm. it you know I I'm I find just some of the simple things in life pretty pretty stressful. Uh, parenting, I adore my children, but I end up everything's just to the nth degree. Like I I'm neurotic about. You know, like I used to go in and I'd check their breathing when they were babies and I'd, you know, constantly, it, to this day, when they're 11 and 13, you know, I watch what they eat. I cut their meat up to tiny bits because I'm terrified they're going to choke. You know, it's just silly stuff that mm. I really would like to be able to let go of that yeah. kind of, yeah, fear. So during the process, sorry, were you able to contact your, your family? Yeah, I was. Um, I was able to call them after about two, sorry. Well, after about a week, I was able to call them. After two weeks, they were able to visit. Mm. And and this is how selfish I was. And I, this, gosh, this makes me cringe. One of my twins had had a bee sting on his eye. Um, and my husband brought the kids in at the two-week mark. And he, my little daughter was three and the boys were about 15 months and they were in the pram. And I saw um, one of my twins and he had this bee sting and it made, his, it made the bridge between his eyes look really wide. And I began to think that it looked like he had fetal alcohol syndrome or something and that it looked like he had something wrong with him or that mm. he had a condition. And I began to feel really, really paranoid that everyone was going to say that I had, um, that I had yeah, done that to mm. my children. And yeah. basically he walked in the door and I said, I can't believe you've brought the kids here with um, Harry looking like that. Can you leave? <laughs> and mm. this is, and, and he left. I mean, in this, I just, like, I don't, again, I don't know who that person is today, but that mm. was me. It was That's all about, don't make yeah. me look bad. <laughs> so yeah. you, you got out of hospital. Did your husband pick you up or did you make your own way home? Yeah. No, husband my picked husband you up. picked me up. Right. Yes. Long and suffering. A long suffering he's, husband. He's, long, a long suffering he's, just, he's amazing. He's, he's absolutely amazing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. he picked you up. <laughs> he did. So, what was it like? What was it like the first night at home? What was that like? Um. Oh gosh, Virgil. I don't think I can remember. I'm so That's sorry. All right. That's okay. I can remember we went. I can remember we went for um, a coffee for at a local. Um, down at the shopping centre, and that yeah. was that was um, a real novelty for me. I never had a coffee out and about, like I, you know, in 
yeah, we lived in the outer eastern suburbs for a long time and I'd certainly never got a coffee at the local, yeah. Um, so that was nice. And and then I, I went um, to a 12-step meeting on the first day that I left um, rehab. Yeah. And so I did that at lunchtime. That was good. Got a whole heap of phone numbers. Um, yeah, and look, I've got to tell you, I can't remember that night, but nothing bad happened. <laughs> so right. that's always a good night. That's always a good night. So what was it like going into the 12-step program that first day when you got out? You know, how, how, yeah. First of all, how had it been arranged? And then how did you feel walking through those doors? Right. So actually, I should have probably mentioned in the, the rehab that I went to, it was very much a 12-step based rehab, which mm -hmm. again, you know, I mean, I had no idea about 12-step um, programs, so mm. um, didn't know they existed in Australia. Um, mm. And that was the very first exposure I'd ever had to a 12-step program was in that rehab. So we mm. had actually been taken to meetings um, whilst we were there. So mm. it wasn't my, when I came out and went to a meeting, it wasn't the first meeting I'd been to. Um, but it was the first one in my, uh, you know, area near home. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing. I mean, I, I just, I think it, it's, it's, I suppose it's a bit like when you first come into to rehab or detox that there's people around, you know, I, even though I was so socially awkward, that is what I craved. I craved other human beings, <laughs> you know, mm. um, or I craved like, just normal relationships as, as uncomfortable as they might be. Um, yeah, I sat mm. there in discomfort, um, knowing that it was the right thing to do and knowing that whenever I leave a meeting, I never feel worse than when I arrived ever. So, you know, mm. um, yeah, it was good actually. Right. And the first week, did you go to a meeting every day? Yes. I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. So, a lot of my patients think that they can do a meeting, a meeting a week, and that's enough. And I say to them, look, you drank alcohol every day. Mm -hmm. You've got to do something else every day, at least for the first couple of months and whilst you're trying to get your head straight. You went to a meeting every day. Yeah. What would you say to someone who thinks they can only do a meeting once a week in the first couple of, in the first 90 days of, of being sober? Uh, look, I mean that to me it's that's more than Russian roulette. To me, that's just not going to work. Um, mm. Well, for me, it wouldn't work. I can't say yeah. what what yeah will look, but it yeah. certainly would not work for yeah. me. You needed might, that daily contact, uh, didn't you? Absolutely, and yeah. for some reason, and it's just crazy. Like it's just, but for some reason, if I had put, I mean, it wasn't the only thing that I did in my day. There was a whole lot of other stuff mm -hmm. that I had to do as well for my recovery but if that had that once I'd been to a meeting I just felt that for that day um, I didn't need to drink um, and mm. I was going to be okay and I really do think it has something to do with again the social aspect the the looking around and seeing the the living proof mm -hmm. the knowing that if I have a really tough afternoon I've got phone numbers I can call people as much as I didn't want to call people and I actually didn't in the really early days um, mm. but I do now yeah um, but no one meeting a week is just it's just not going to cut it I mean no. yeah it's my mind if nothing else for those six days it would just be unbearable I mean that is you know my life is completely unmanageable and it's not the outside stuff that's unmanageable you know it's mm. the 
it's the inside stuff that's unmanageable. So yeah. So after the first week, what were or if you can remember? I appreciate this is ten years ago. You may not remember, but can you remember any reflections that you had on your experience in the rehab? I just I, I know that when I left um, rehab, I had a pretty good. Um, plan you know mm -hmm. I had a daily plan which at first I mm -hmm. thought was being just way over the top like putting you know um, just having like a daily um, to-do list um, but I stuck to that you know I got yeah. up at a certain time I had a shower yeah. at a certain time yeah. I had the kids fed and you know I mean dealing with children um, yeah. when I didn't really know how to deal with children um, yeah. that that was a difficult thing, but but I literally put you know eleven o'clock. I'll have them bathed, and yeah. you know, and then I'll start dinner in the afternoon. And at that time, I was really fortunate that I didn't um, have to work for for you know the initial mm. few months. So it was really so, important for you in the rehab to have constructed a plan for the first time yes. period that you got out, without Absolutely. which you would have just gone to pieces. So the two. The two reasons why you had a successful rehab or why your success in rehab continued was one, you had a daily plan and two, mm -hmm. you went to daily meetings. Absolutely. Yeah. Chrissy, we've run out of time. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to talk to you again very soon and we will continue your journey. Okay. Thank you, Fergal. Thank you so much for your time today. That's all for today's MedHeads. My name's Dr. Fergal Armstrong. We'll see you next time.